All right, welcome, y'all. Uh, happy Sunday. Good to see you and to be together. Um, and we are grateful for this time and this opportunity to spend time with one another and time in God's presence. Uh, the last several weeks, we've been talking only about Matthew 25 and Jesus' teachings there and how we're supposed to live those out, what that looks like for disciples. And now we've started sort of turning our hearts a little bit to getting us prepared for our spiritual retreat at the beginning of November. So the weekend of November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, and if you haven't signed up yet and you're just finding out about it today or you weren't sure, but now that you see all the cool people are going, you're definitely going to go, there's still room. All right, you can still sign up. It's at Costa Noa over in Pescadero. Families are welcome. Everybody's welcome. Where it'd be lovely to have you all there. Mark Iaconelli will be speaking and will be helping us encounter um, a bit of narrative and how we understand our stories and how we understand our Jesus story. And the title of the weekend is The Stories That Save Us. Now, in preparation for getting ready for a spiritual retreat, have anybody ever gone on like a spiritual retreat where you're sort of like, I'm going to go, yeah, too scared to say? Okay, good job. Yay, some of you. All right. Um, I did, but that was in a previous life, and now I feel really complicated about that life, and so now I'm afraid to say that I ever went to anything like that before. If you're in that camp, you can raise your hand too. I thought I was at a spiritual retreat, and now I fear it was a cult. Um, so, <laughs> uh, don't worry, this one's not cult-like at all. We're just going to take your name and your number and your social security number. Anyway. Okay, so I get it. Um, a lot of us have experiences in our past or present or maybe none at all, where encountering the presence of God can feel frightening, concerning, um, wonderful, and exciting. Maybe those have been the only experiences you've had. Maybe you've encountered people who have claimed to have a very great conversation with God with specific instructions about you. Has that ever happened in your life? I've had people walk up to me, not in this church, in other churches. This church would never do something so weird like this, uh, where people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Danielle. Hi, by the way, I'm Pastor Danielle. I'm the senior pastor here at Spartan Case. It's your first time. Um, thank you. Yay. Uh, pastor Danielle, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. And in my mind, immediately, I'm like, sit tight, sit tight. Just smile. Um, and typically, it comes from somebody who doesn't know me at all. I very rarely have people who actually know me come up with very, very direct words. Anybody else? So it's oftentimes people who saw me from a distance or saw that I carried the word, the title pastor, and then that was concerning. Um, and so then oftentimes would come up in their word for how they had practiced their presence. Like, I had a conversation with God. God told me to tell you, you should stop being a pastor. Like, that would be one of the words that I received. It's like, okay, so you'd always be like, sit tight, sit tight. Um, God told me, somebody actually told me one time, um, God told me to tell you to submit more to your husband. And I'm like, good to know. Thanks. Did you talk to him also? Like, did you talk to Kevin about this? Um, so maybe he's like trying to get a word in through the side door. I don't know, right? <laughs> All of those different ways where when people, or you, or you had a mountaintop or a valley experience, and in those moments you thought to yourself, I think I've had an experience with God. But then the language of how we talk about that, or even how we want to share that with somebody else, starts to feel very heavy and loaded or weighty, and then we start to wonder, did I and should I and can I? And so some of us in various spaces feel very confident about the experiences we've had with Jesus. Some of us feel confused about the experiences we think we may have had with Jesus at some point. And some of us maybe have not had an experience with God. And that is okay too. 
I just want to let you know as we enter into this conversation, as we prepare for a spiritual retreat in a few weeks, I want you to know that all of that is welcome. And you don't have to feel shame about any part of it or confused, over-confused or, or stressed out or feel like you have to hide one part here and the other part can be, all of it's welcome, okay? When we talk now about these next bits, I want you just to remember a few weeks back, maybe, I don't know, beginning of the fall, Pastor Kevin and I taught a message about loving God with all. And we talked about the word all and the concept of when we say we love Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your might, that that includes your head. But that also includes that heart is the seat of intellect and thought, in Hebrew thought. So go back and listen to that if you're having a question as to why we're doing what we're doing now. Spark does a great job having very deep, curious, intellectual conversations. Right? Yeah? And we welcome all the questions. And we will do that as we step into this presence, too, where we step into the mystery of God's presence in our life, God's presence at work in our world, and God's presence and, at, and work in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church. So the title of this sermon today is Practicing the Presence of God. This comes from a book, or actually a collection of conversations from a person named Brother Lawrence, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. You know that family, the Resurrection family. He had a different name growing up. Um, he was in, lived around 1600, 1614 to 1691, and he served as a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery in Paris. And he's remembered most for his close relationship with, to God as recorded in this book, which was compiled after his death. So people later on, after he died, recorded these conversations that he had had and talked about practicing the presence of God. So when we use that phrasing, I wanted to let you know it's not like a cool new age thing that just came out of the 60s and 70s with the Northern California hippie movement. It's actually something that's been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. There are holy spaces where people tried to get away and to encounter the presence of God and have done so for over 3,000, 4,000 years. As soon as people could start to articulate God language, they started to try to find places where they could encounter and be with God. And some of the places we think most this happens are like monasteries and nunneries, right? Those peeps, those are serious folks, right? They go out to live in places nobody else would ever like to live. And then they go there and they live very austere lifestyles in order to really get close to the divine. In fact, growing up, uh, sorry, in seminary, we had a um, church history class. And they talked about a guy named Simeon Stylites. I don't know if you heard about this guy. He's a fascinating guy, but he like really wanted to get close to God. So he you know, pictured God like way up there. And so he built something really, really high and then lived up there for a very, very long time on this tiny little platform. And it's, it's kind of a weird story and you can go and read all about it. But there was an attempt to encounter God, to experience the presence of God in his life. Well, Brother Lawrence, when he talked about the practicing the presence of God, he meant this, sort of boiled it down to these three primary ways of talking about that the holiest and most necessary practice in the spiritual life is that of the presence of God. He said, like, if you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to be engaged in the work of spirituality as a Christian in this world, then you have to practice the presence of God. And immediately, if you're anything like me, and if you're a good spark, you have like 16 questions, right? How do I do that? How do I practice the presence of God? What's going to happen? So he's like, here, I'll give you more. Practice the presence of God is a holy habit of thought. 
And he explains this as a simple attentiveness, a general loving awareness of God, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with Christ all the time. He didn't perceive any task as more holy or less holy. If it was a menial task, like taking care of the sandals in the monastery and doing the dishes, which is what he did most of time, he perceived that as very holy work, just as holy as the work of a priest in the community. And throughout his day, throughout his life, he would simply talk to Jesus all the time and have a humble, loving attentiveness to the presence of God in his life. And then he said that if that's happening, a living in God's presence should lead to this transformational love in your life. A transformational love and experience that you're having with God, with yourself, and with others. And again, I think, if you're like me, you read this and you think, sounds great, Brother Lawrence. How do I do that? Particularly since the way you did it was in a monastery sort of tucked away in Paris. I mean, I might be able to get this done if I was in Paris. So, you know, tucked away, right? How do we really do this? What happens? And and is this just an idea you had or did other people have before? So let's talk about this from a text point of view because that's what we like to do at Spark. We like to sit and study our text. How did our ancestors experience God? What are the stories that we encounter in our text? And where do we see them having a moment or an experience with God? The first thing I just want to let you know is that there are a lot of really highlight stories that we can find in our Bible of somebody having like a crazy, awesome, incredible experience with God. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible doesn't tell you all the times God wasn't miraculously speaking from a bush, right? It was Tuesday, God still didn't talk from a bush. Wednesday, God, so years and years went by in Moses' life before he had that experience. Years and years went by in Abraham's life and Hagar's life and and Sarai's life and others where God didn't, they didn't experience God in some miraculous, crazy way. So I'm going to admit to you that we're talking about the highlights, okay? And that's okay. Let's at least look there. Genesis 28, 10 through 16 talks about this crazy dream that this guy Jacob has after he's deceived his father, (laughs) stolen a birthright and blessing from his brother, all because his mom loves him best. It's very functional. And he flees from that situation, and he finds himself, he leaves Beersheba, and he goes toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God talks to him, and and then Jacob wakes from his sleep, and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I love this line. Surely God is in this place, but I did not know it. He had been there for a while. He had enough time to set up camp, find the comfiest, coziest rock he could for a pillow, and sit down and have a whole experience with God while sleeping. And he already now is recognizing, surely God was in this place, but I didn't know it. And the Bible is actually full of experiences of people with God talking about that experience in the after that many times people don't see God actually in the moment, in the present. 
I know that's been true for me too, that oftentimes I don't see God at work in the moment, in the present, but I only see God in the after. When Moses experiences God on Mount Sinai, he's like, God, I want to see you. And God's like, you'll die if you see me. He goes, okay, well, please let me just depart. And he goes, okay, I'll push you into the cleft of the rock, and you'll see my after. So oftentimes, even in the Bible, people didn't know they were having experience with God until it was over. I have this sign up in my house, bidden or not bidden, God is present. That God is present in my home, whether I ask God to be there or not, whether I am aware of it or not, God is there. And oftentimes in my own life, and oftentimes in a lot of the lives of people of, of the Bible, they don't know God is there until the after. And it's in looking back upon a moment or upon their life that they can go, oh, I see where God was at work, but I couldn't see it in the moment. Moses has a similar experience. He has grown up in Egypt, um, an incredibly difficult context. He recognizes that his people have been enslaved. He fights back, does what they're doing to his own people, and kills one and has to flee Egypt. And then has spent another 40 years just wandering about the desert, looking after sheep like you do. And as he's there in Exodus 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, Yitro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Mount Horeb, by the way, is another word for Mount Sinai. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire out of a bush. He looked, so Moses is looking at it, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. The rabbis actually talk about this is the moment God was waiting for. God was waiting to see if he was curious enough to stop and to wonder and go aside and look. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. This is God. Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing, where he's already standing, is holy ground. So Moses comes to understand that it's not just an interesting fireworks display that's happening, but it is holy ground that he is on. But he doesn't know it right away. He doesn't even know it as he sees the bush. It's only after he hears Moses, Moses, and responds, here I am, that he gets the instructions. Take off your sandals. Where you're already standing is holy. I love this framework. I don't know if you know Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. It's like what my BFF growing up. He said, he's also a Presbyterian minister, in case you didn't know, that the place between our mouth and another person's ears is holy ground. And when we think about it that way too, it's not just a physical place, is it? But there's something sacred and special and set apart in a moment in a conversation, in a dialogue between two people. So we have experiences in our text where people are walking along, minding their own business, or walking along, having their own sleep, and then all of a sudden they become aware of God's presence in their after 
right? Now Moses will go on to have a fantastically complex conversation with God about will he, won't he go back and return to Egypt and help you know, set the people free. But all of that tension is there. That's that moment, practicing that presence with God. For Moses, for Jacob, it happens in the after. It's something that they come to understand. We also have stories of people who start to listen in a way they hadn't before. And part of practicing the presence of God is to say after an event, where were you? Oh, you were there. Another way is to say, God, could you please tune my ears to start to hear your voice. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we have this beautiful story about a woman named Hannah who begged God and God heard her. And she's begged God for a son. A son has been born, Samuel. She names him Shmuel, the Lord has heard. And she dedicates him to the service of the temple. So he is there growing up in the temple And in the midst of it, while he's there, the boy Samuel is ministering to the Lord under Eli. Eli was a a priest of, um, yeah, not great. You can go read the story. Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. What do you think about that line? You've just opened up to the book of Samuel, and you're there, I'm assuming, if you and I are there reading the book, we're there to hear the word of the Lord. And it starts with, it was pretty rare. People weren't actually encountering the presence of God. They, they felt distance or they weren't paying attention. Visions were not widespread. Now at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. By the way, if God ever calls your name twice, Super pay attention, all right? That's a thing in the Bible. Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. Like, go back to bed, kid. You're bothering me. And so he went and he lay down, and the Lord called again. Shmuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he's hearing God's voice call his very name, and he still doesn't know it's God. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then finally, Eli's like, Oh, wait, maybe something's happening here. Perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And so therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, Shmuel, Shmuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. And that's certainly what's just happened to Samuel, isn't it? His ears started tuning to the presence of God. He hears this voice, doesn't know that it's the Lord, but becomes awakened to God's presence. And it's his response, speak, Lord, I'm listening, that then precipitates the next revelation that God will give to him. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that in this story, in these stories so far, we have a lot of Moses, Moses, 
Jacob, Jacob, Samuel, Samuel, like these different things. We'll also have Mary, Mary at the tomb with Jesus. And a response, a very common response that we see when people of God are ready to hear, they say this, he named me. He named me. Here I am. He named me. And we'll see over and over again that people who are trying to practice the presence of God in the Bible, who are trying to understand the divine and the mystery that is happening amongst them, that part of what makes that whole moment happen or that they are available for it is simply their willingness to say, here I am. I will turn aside. I will consider the after of you. And I will ask for you to speak. He named me. Here I am. Speak, Lord. I am listening, he says. So we know so far, and I'm being, I can't go through the whole Bible tonight. I know you want to be here all night, but I'm not going to go through every story of all the times when God spoke. But we know so far that God will call people out in dreams. God will reveal God's self in bushes. That God will speak so that people might hear. But we also know that God will meet people like Hagar, whose name means the stranger, and she's been brutally treated by Sarah, and she's fled. And in that moment of fleeing, pregnant with Ishmael, she lays down and begins to weep, to sort of give up, and God shows up for her. And she's the first person in the Bible that actually gets to name God. And she says, you are the God who sees. So now we have an experience. She has this incredible presence, moment with God, this encounter with God, and God has seen her, seen her as she weeps, seen her as she lays broken at what has happened to her in this world. And he has a very complex, difficult conversation with her following that says, go back home, go back to Sarai, the one who is abusing you. But I will give you a son. God sees her, and she is the one that gets to name God. We know that God hears the cries of women like Hannah as they weep there at the temple, begging God for a deliverance, in this case through a son. And God hears, and she names her son, the Lord has heard me. And we know that God also comes in actual silence. After Elijah has had this credible contest with the prophets of Baal up at Mount Carmel in the book of Kings, he has fled from Jezebel and Ahab because for sure they're out to get him. And he goes back to Horeb, to Sinai. And he's there. And in that experience where he is saying, there's nobody but me. Woe is me. I'm the only one left. Not quite true if you read the story. And he's very upset. And he's asking God to sort of show up. And a big wind comes. And fire and earthquake come. But God's not in any of those. God's in the silence. And that is stunning to me. Because I perceive silence as often the absence of the divine. But our Bible tells stories that God is in the silence too. 
And even as we read the book of Esther, our only book in the Bible that has no mention of the name of God. And so people even debated if it should be in our text because it doesn't talk about God at all. And the ultimate decision was, of course, it should be in our canon because God is in the spaces between the lines. Because as you read the book and the story of Esther, then you're convinced that God is at work in the spaces between the lines, in the silence. God is present in the stories of these ancestors of ours. And then those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who claim to be Christians, the very essence of of our faith, the very essence of it is that Christ is with us, God with us in the person of Jesus. That Jesus, God through Jesus, practiced his own presence among us. That there had been enough time and space where people had been so far off that ever since the garden and no longer having a time where we could just walk and hang with God in the cool of the garden, as was our custom, we've now been in a space where we've been set apart from God's presence and people have just had little tastes one after the other. But now we have this story that's going to start to show up in the Gospels where God says, enough, I will become flesh and dwell among you. And so part of practicing the presence, and this is what Brother Lawrence did, was to simply spend time with Jesus in the Gospels. I have a mentor, he's very passionate, and he will thunderously sort of yell and convince everybody in the room and say, how dare you call yourself a Christian if you're not reading the Gospels at least once every month? How can you claim to know Jesus if you haven't spent that much time with Jesus on a monthly basis every single time? If you're not reading the gospel, and it gets a little intense, right? And in my, I grew up with a um, lieutenant colonel for father, so I can jive with that. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Let's lay down. What are the rules? Hoorah, here we go. Through the woods, up the hill. I can do this. And it works for me until I miss a day. And then all of my performance anxiety stuff, I'm big on like perfectionism, which it does, I have to tell myself and my daughter all the time, perfection's the enemy of the good. Perfection's the enemy of the good. Perfection's the enemy. This is like a mantra in my life. When I miss the day and I go, oh, well, you know, I missed a day. So I guess I'm not going to. And then I'll just let the whole rest of the month slide. It's like one day off. I'm like, well, that's it. But those words still ring with me actually quite a bit of like, do I spend time? knowing truly the teachings of Jesus? Have I spent a lot of time in these stories asking myself what it is to be with him right now? Not just to imagine what it would have been 2,000 years ago, but to be with him now in the story. Can I spend time with Jesus in the Gospels? Now, just to be clear, I'm Trinitarian. I believe Jesus was pre-existent in the garden, before the garden, before creation of the world, and has existed through all time. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of that. And I also want to spend time with the person of Jesus, in the body and the blood of Jesus that is expressed in those four Gospels, those stories of the good news. Now, Jesus spends a lot of time with people. In fact, when he picks his disciples, he'll say, I picked you so that I could be with you. I want to be with you. 
And he spends time with people who are diseased and stricken by demons and illness. And he spends time with religious leaders and he spends time with zealots. And he engages in these beautiful conversations and he spends time alone and he spends time up on a mountain praying and he spends time on the sea. And one of my favorite stories is actually after the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection. We, we talked about this recently, about the Emmaus Road, that Jesus is with us on the road. This is such good news to me because I feel very much like I am on the road. And I don't know if you remember the story, but there are some people who are followers of Jesus, some of these disciples, they're out there walking on the road, and Jesus is like, hey, what's up? And they don't recognize him, and they're walking along, like, who are you that you don't know what's been going on? And he's like, you know, why so downtrodden? Like, well, we thought he was the guy, and then he's been killed, and now these women come back saying that his body's not there, and he's been risen from the dead, and we don't know what to think, so we've just decided to leave town. We're out of here, right? And Jesus shows up on the road. He shows up, and he walks with them, and they don't know it's him. They don't recognize it at all until when? They get to the town and they're like, hey, Jesus. They don't know. They're just like, hey, dude, come on in. Right? Or maybe it was one of the many people named Jesus. It was a very common name. Come, I think hopefully they would have gotten it. <laughs> I feel like it was, my name's Jesus. <laughs> right? They still don't get it, right? <laughs> they said, come on in. You eat with us. Stay with us. It's like, okay. And they sit down. He breaks, he blesses God and breaks the bread, says the blessing. They recognize it's him, and he disappears. That's a neat trick. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. No way. And they're like, didn't our hearts burn within us while we were along the road? And they start to put it together. They start to realize all the things, the best sermon ever that's not recorded that I really wish was, where he just explains everything from the prophets, from the Torah to the prophets, all the reasons why Jesus was going to show up and do all the stuff he just did. And they're like, this is incredible. And they run back to Jerusalem, the place where they were like, we're out. That's dangerous. They're killing a lot of us there. Those Romans are out of control. Let's get out. And they go back. And they didn't recognize him until the breaking of the bread. And so when we meet and spend time practicing the presence of Jesus in our lives, when we do that in the Gospels, you know what we discover? We find and can practice the presence of Jesus in the text we can practice the presence of Jesus when we love, when we obey, when we serve, when we weep. Jesus shows up when we weep. When we rejoice, when we sit, when we hope. I should also note that Jesus shows up when we despair. At the tomb, when we're there to mourn the dead, Jesus shows up there too. When we listen, when we see, when we welcome, when we forgive, when we break bread, when we doubt, and when we believe, Jesus is there. In all of the moments and in all of the in-betweens, Jesus is in all of those moments. He's amongst friends and enemies. He is present amongst belief. He is present amongst doubt. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is with us. In all of the in-between, 
In the moment that we're here right now, individually and in community, Jesus is here. Whether we know it or not, Jesus is here. Whether our ears are tuned, whether we've stopped to look at the sight, whether we've woken up and seen him in the after or not, the Bible is clear. God with us. We are not alone. God has not left us alone. We know he is here. He has promised us that he will be here. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ will come and dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ will come and make his home in our hearts. And many of us are in this room because we've had that experience. Many of us are in this room because we would like to have it again. And many of us are in this room wondering whether or not it's true. Whether it's something we can know, whether it's something we can trust. So we practice the presence of God through the study of our text. We encounter the presence of Jesus through the study of the Gospels. And we do that in community as well as on our own. We also practice the presence of God in worship. Now one of the things that we're going to be doing next week which is going to be super cool and fun, and don't get scared, you uh, deconstructing post-evangelicals. It's going to be all right. We're going to have a night of worship. Junior and a beautiful Spark team has been dreaming and thinking and creating what it might look like to set aside time where I'm not talking so much, and we simply try to listen and to actually practice the presence of God through music and through song. Now, study is a high form of worship, and we will always continue to be study, studiers, learners, students, all of that here at Spark. But as we talked about when we said we're going to love God with all, we want to give you time to practice the presence of God, and we want to do so through worship. So I've asked Sparker Javon to come on up. Come here, brother. Because a lot of this came from Javon and Denise and Junior's passion. And Spark is a church that takes the shape of the people who come and help to create it. And so thank you, Javon, for being part of that process here. He's going to share a little bit about his heart for worship. Welcome, Javon. Hi, Spark fam. Uh, thanks, Danielle, for inviting me up here. And uh, yeah, let's all just take a deep breath together real quick. Let's do that one more. Deep breath in and out. And maybe that was just to calm my own nerves being in front of the church. But it's also one of the things that I think about as the anxious person that I am of how I can call my own self and think about how I can appreciate the spirit and the presence of God. And um, I have to do a quick shout out to um, Denise. Uh, we had a conversation a while ago about uh, our experiences in worship um, as we've um, had various levels of deconstructing and post-evangelicalism and all these things, um, but still having this heart and desire of worship and prayer and 
um, we wanted to share that experience with Spark. And so um, I am not a pastor, and so I do not have those types of words to share. But I do have things that I thought about when I thought about, well, what comes to mind when I think of worship? And I think of three things is where I kind of synthesize, which is I think of singing, worship, and song. I think of taking a deep breath. And then I also think of work. And you might be thinking, now wait, I'm not here to think about my work when I'm here on Sunday. But I'll get to that in a second. And one of the things for me, um, growing up in the black church, and no, black church is not a specific denomination. It is just a a collection of the different... uh, church experiences and faith experiences of those in the African diaspora. Um, And my experience um, in that community has really shaped and formed my expression of worship and connection to God. And a lot of that is with singing. You've seen me, I help uh, sing sometimes with uh, the worship team. Um, I really am connected with gospel music and singing. And that's always been a deep way where I'm able to connect with the Spirit of God. And so I'm really happy that we're able to share and worship through song on next Sunday, as we do every Sunday. But worship is so much more than just singing as well. Um, A couple of things I wanted to say about just some of my background, too, is that I grew up uh, listening to a lot of hymns and spirituals, um, things such as Go Tell It on the Mountain um, or Nobody Knows the Trouble That I've Seen. And these are songs that interwove the realness of life in the midst of expectancy and hope in the midst of those who have had backgrounds of destitute and pain and still seeing light in the midst of that, in the midst of their lament, in the midst of their, their cries still also being able to experience joy in the midst of that, too. And so that's some of the background that I come from. I think of Psalms 102, where it says, Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him singing with joy. And so that's the spirit that I come up with when I come singing. Now, I also think about the breath. And thinking about a breath, um, it really makes me think about um, how Danielle was just talking about the stillness. Right, where we take a moment. I love taking a moment in nature to calm down or to take a moment to be silent in prayer. And we're also going to make sure that there's space for that silence and stillness as well because we're going to have space for prayer in the amazing prayer room that is being uh, set up back there. Please check it out. It's awesome. Um, And so there are times, especially in this past year, for those who know me very closely, um, that I've had to take some very intense times of prayer of times of meditation, of times of reflection, as I've had a lot of changes happen in my life, as I think a lot of us have had a lot of changes in our lives over the past several years. And it's in those moments, even though I like to be busy, that I really feel that I can connect with God in the stillness. I also want to talk about work. And I want to, yes, thank you. And so, uh, one of the things I want to talk about, so that passage I just talked, I read, Psalms 102, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him singing with joy. That word for worship can also be understood as work or serve, serve the Lord with gladness. And this word is, I am terrible with my pronunciation, is avoda, avoda. Uh, so this word here means all those different words up there. And notice how few, I really like data, so I really appreciate this slide. Notice how small the red section is that talks about worship or worshiped or worshipers, compared to the big blue section that says serve or served, and then even more, the orange and other variations. So it talks about till and work. And so 
there's so many ways that worship and work are interwoven. I actually took a summer-long um, project when I was back in my years at InterVarsity uh, where we spoke just about vocation and the way of serving and work being tied together. And I also want to think about, you know, when we uh, think of the story in Exodus when Moses um, came to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go so that they may worship or that they may serve. Moses is telling Pharaoh this because his people had been serving and building the kingdom of Pharaoh, and they needed to go and now take the time to build God's kingdom. Think about how we can serve the Lord with gladness. Maybe that's within the work that we do in our day-to-day jobs. Maybe that's in the ways that we serve in community. Maybe that's just simply putting our chairs up or the countless hours that we might do behind the scenes and serving and cleaning and doing things around Spark or maybe other ways. Thinking about maybe the Matthew 25 series where the things that we do to support others in need. So I wanted to bring this up because I see worship and the external vivid community. Again, coming from black church, came together in community. You came together and you're singing, you're dancing. There are people, uh, I have a story from my family that uh, my grandmother was very charismatic and would do cartwheels in the back of service. Yes, I wish I could have seen that. Um, Also uh, moments of testimony and just sharing of how God's goodness has been in the midst of community. There's also moments of internal reflection and solitude, thinking about prayer, thinking about time in art. Um, I really enjoy poetry, and so that's something that I've done as well, like uh, poetic prayer and just like reading and writing as a form of prayer and reflection. Um, and maybe even in those silent tears that you cry when nobody else is watching. And I hope. My prayer, my desire is that next Sunday is a time where we can all practice the presence of God together in various forms of expression in worship. So that's some of the ideas that have come together. This is all not me. I want to make sure that is clear. There have been so many people, and one of the things that Danielle has said is that uh, when, we, when uh, Denise and I brought this idea up was that this is so amazing because there's so many people who have brought up these different things. And so I'm really excited to come and partner together with the Spark family for Amen. next Sunday. Amen. Thank you, Javon. Thank you, Javon. And thank you to our amazing junior and worship team who continue to help us to practice the presence of God through worship every weekend as well. Now, Javon mentioned that another way to practice God's presence in our space is through prayer. And so, yes, we have opened a prayer room here at Spark. Um, Pamela and others have come alongside, and I'm, I'm missing all of you, but Pamela came and put a lot of batteries and a lot of little candles, rechargeable batteries this weekend, helped to create all the space. Um, we have tried to create a place where when things are busy and when things are flurrying in, in us and around us, we can come and sit and start to take those deep breaths and practice prayer through a variety of different methods. There will be a station there that's just on sort of thinking about the burning bush. So feel free to take off your shoes and stand for a minute. There's a station that'll be focused on creation and creation care. There's a station focused just on prayers of peace 
in our world and actions we can take and how we might have peace with God, peace with others, and peace with creation. And those stations will rotate every few weeks. So if you don't get in right away and it's busy, it's a small room, y'all. You're all going to be able to get in there. It will not be contemplative immediately. Um, But it will be there for you and it will be here for you during the week. So you can come here during the week. We have our co-working hours, but now when you come and co-work and you're in between your calls, you can also come to pray. Practice the presence of God through prayer. So we're not just going to be here to say, you guys should really, good luck, have an experience with Jesus, way to go. We're actually going to give us all opportunities to let Jesus show up, including we also have a prayer path. Now, this is also a labyrinth or a prayer path, and it will be placed in here. I'll set it up actually later tonight, and it'll be up until Tuesday afternoon, at which point we will be moving it into the library for the Tuesday evening event, and we'll talk about that later, and people can come and pray. Now, because this space here under this roof is shared with people who are not Christian, with people who are also of the Jewish faith, this particular instruction here has no God language at all. So, if you are looking, though, for a very particular Christian practice of that prayer path, those instructions will be for you available in our prayer room. You can take those and walk it out yourself. We want to make sure that it's accessible for everyone, wherever they might be. And truly, it doesn't take you long to figure out how you might use this if you are a person who follows Jesus or, or follows God in any way. When you come and approach the prayer path, there's a pile of rocks right there. And you can take whatever it is that's heavy and burdened on your heart right now and pick it up and carry it with you as you walk through the path. Walking a prayer path in a labyrinth, if you've not done it before, there's many around and out in nature and and many in different churches, and they've been around for over 3,000 plus years in various forms. You can't get lost. You'll follow the path all around. You don't have to think about it. You can't get lost. But Jesus meets us along the road with the heavy things that we carry. When you find yourself in the center, you can leave your burden there, and you can walk back out. If you feel so inclined, you can pick one back up that represents the burden you carry for another and carry that back outwards as you walk out of the prayer path, praying as you go, centering yourself, feet on the ground, and then leaving it with you as you go for the way. My daughter and I walk the prayer path all the time. We love it. And just find ourselves settling into that centering experience. This will be available for Sparkers and for Etsniks and for anybody in the community who would like it throughout the week. And we'll find different ways to post this on our website to let you know when the times are available. And people can just come by and make use of this space and this path when when it blesses you. We're also going to be launching a spiritual practice book club. Uh, This is Frank Rogers. He's a friend of Spark. A friend of mine, he's come and done a spark retreat some years ago. He's written a beautiful book called Compassion and Practice, and it is very thin and very difficult to do. Easy to read, difficult to do. And we will have a book club, and I'm finalizing the date right, the days of the week right now, and we'll read that book together, and then in the club, in our, greet, in our meeting together, we will actually do the things and practice them together, staying grounded when we feel upset, finding the gift in those moments, and we'll practice it all. How do we practice the compassion of Christ? In, this is 
The Way of Jesus, Compassion and Practice. Here's a quote from Frank's book. I just wanted to share it with you today. We are a world at war, and the war is waged both within and without. And yet, the midst, and yet in the midst of the violence that rages around us, music moves through our world as well. This music flows from the very heartbeat of God at the sacred center of the cosmos, and it whispers through every sphere of the universe, inviting each person, each particle of creation to move in harmony with its restorative rhythms. Contemplative Christians call this music the song of creation. The music is the Holy Spirit, a melody of life, love, peace, grace, and justice. It offers a reconciled connectedness that extends to all without exception. And the song never stops playing. No violence can slay it. No despair can silence it. And no frantic din or maddening fury can drive it away entirely. We are within it. It is within us. It beats in the depths of our soul. If you want to come and practice this radical compassion of Jesus and this presence of Christ, then keep note of the email coming out and you'll be able to see and sign up for that book club. We'll practice this through music, through meditation, through prayer, through collective worship, and give you opportunities to try to find and experience contemplatively the presence of Jesus in this world and in this space, to find those grounded places. One of my favorite one of my favorite singers, he's this really unknown guy. His name's Stephen Iverson, and I first heard him at a, different, a few different spiritual retreats I'd gone to years and years ago, like 20 years ago. And he sings this song, and we'll sing one of his songs next week, but this song just repeatedly over and over again. This is a grounding song in my life. And he just says, Peace, be still. Peace, be still. The storm rages. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. The storm rages. Peace, be still. I sing this song to start my prayer practice and ground myself in the presence of God. And what I love about it so much is that it does not deny the storm that's still here in the moment. The storm rages, and as it rages, peace, be still. This week, my prayer for us all as we start to move towards worship next weekend and our contemplative prayer space and practices, and as we start to try to find some peace in a world torn up by hatred, we want to find the way of Jesus in this place, a way that loves neighbor, a way that loves enemy, and a way that loves all creation, and a place where we can experience that love ourselves. I'd like to ask each one of you to consider taking a five-minute walk with God this week. 
this is all I want you to do. We've given you lots of opportunities coming up, but here's, here's your only homework assignment for the week. You ready? One five-minute walk with God. Find some place, just five minutes. Start your walk, however it blesses you, center and ground, and say whatever you would like to say to Jesus. Jesus, I don't believe in you, but I'm going to take a five-minute walk with you right now, and I would like to become aware of your presence. If you're real, show up and speak. May I see you after. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe your prayer starts with, Dear Jesus, I know you're real. You've walked with me every step of the way. But right now, in this moment, I need you closer than ever. I don't know what your prayer might be, but I want you to know that you can say all the things on your heart. Jesus already knows them anyway. And you can say them out loud. He can take care of all of our questions and doubts. And if I, if Jesus is real, and I believe he is, if Jesus is alive, and I believe that he is, then I think he'll show up. And I'm just asking that each one of us might take a five-minute walk with God this week, maybe more than once. I don't know, five minutes a day doesn't seem that bad. Take a five-minute walk and ask Jesus to make our hearts burn within us, to become known in the breaking of the bread, to become known in the calling out of our name twice, to become known in the absolute silence, and just ask Jesus to show up. And let's see what God does. And we can embrace the mystery of all of that as we seek to practice the presence of God. Amen. Now in our service, we're actually going to turn our attention to the table. This is the place where God makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, all are welcome at this table. Beliefs, doubts, pains, hurts, hope, despair, joy, all of it is welcome at this table. Come.